0: Would you open God's precious holy word in Numbers 33. This really is just more of a read through and notice the outline because the outline reveals to us even more clearly the sovereignty of God, especially as he deals with his people. This is more or less a review of the 40 years of wandering. When they started out, they were like 11 days from Canaan. And they messed up. So for the next 40 years, they would wander in the wilderness and the whole generation would die out, including Moses. But there's a new generation here And before Moses finally surrenders uh, his life, a review is given. This is for the benefit, I'm sure, of the newer generation. You know, when things are happening uh, that are very serious, younger people have a tendency not to be that aware of things that are happening. They just know that things are getting taken care of. But now they are the generation, this younger generation, this new generation. They're the ones in charge. They are the generation of leadership. So for this last time, there is a review of what happened in the last 40 years. And there are points to be made all the way through this reading, just to read through it. We, I say that because except for a point that's made here or there, we've already studied the, the journey of uh, the Israelites through the wilderness. So what we look for now is we look for these points, these, these, uh, these, 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 these major uh, dealings from Yahweh, ...for his people, how he dealt with them, even though they may not have realized it. Even though many of the times it seemed like it was difficult for them, God, God is sovereign. He was taking care of them. He was taking care of them in ways that they probably didn't even realize. But in review, it would be easy for these, uh, this, especially this younger generation who, as I said earlier, probably didn't pay that close of attention... Uh, to the to the journey, to the daily uh, dealings uh, of God with His people and, and what they were facing. But now they they can okay they can take this uh, this narration that's given in chapter thirty three, and they can look back at these major points. And although it covers forty years in like fifty six verses, I think in this chapter. Even though it covers a span of 40 years, it's not the time frame uh, that's important. It's, it's, it's not the, As a matter of fact, there are 40 stages. The word that's translated journey or journeys here uh, actually is a word that means plucking, to be plucked. And the idea is to be plucked from one place. And put in another. And this is the sovereign hand of God that's doing it. He has Moses who will lead them. But it is Yahweh giving instruction to Moses. Who then gives instructions to the people as to where they will go from here to there. There are some details perhaps that are given in, in Numbers 33. That uh, When I say details I mean names of places that are not articulated so much in the earlier versions uh, and accounts of their journeys. But given here, and I think the important thing to note is that these are just otherwise nameless places uh, that didn't seem to be that important. But what made them important was this is where God would put his people for a, a, a span of time so there are, there are forty pluckings, forty journeys, forty stages of their wandering, but they're not now there are forty years in the wilderness, but each each plucking each 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 uh, adventure that's given or travel that's given is not given because it lasted a year, so we shouldn't think that. Each one that's given last, some lasted only a little while, a week or two or a month or two. Others lasted a little longer. Uh, But it's a number that speaks to how God uh, deals with his people. Now, with all of that said, the basis of our attention here and the focus of the study of this particular chapter is on the sovereignty of God. Here two to three million people. They thought they were wandering. God knew where they were, what he was doing. And each place had its own adventure. That's the thing to keep in mind. Now those adventures, we've already looked at some of them. Those adventures have already been given, especially the high points. But uh, it, is, it is to remind us that God knew exactly what he was doing He knew exactly where he would take them and pluck them out from and put them in another place and leave them there for a while. There were lessons to be learned, but the main lesson is that God is God. And these points that are are to be made are given so this younger generation especially would understand the attributes of a sovereign God. First of all, the God who secures victory. Let's look at it. These are the journeys of the pluckings, the stages of the sons of Israel who left the land of Egypt in their legions under the charge of Moses and Aaron. Moses recorded their starting points for their journeys. What? According to the word of Yahweh. And these were their journeys with their starting points. So this was divinely inspired that Moses would write and record these write down and record these, these particular details because they are important, especially with how God relates to his, uh, his people. Whoops, double clicked it. They journeyed from Ramesses in the first month over in Egypt. On the 15th day of the first month, on the day following the Passover sacrifice, the sons of Israel left triumphantly before the eyes of all the Egyptians and the Egyptians were busy burying because Yahweh had struck down their firstborn and had wrought vengeance against their deities. When we studied Exodus and we studied the details of the plagues that came upon Egypt perhaps you perhaps I think we're in the room back there in the other room uh we looked, at, uh, we looked at the specifics of the deliverance and what was given, how the plagues were described. And, and each one was an attack on a specific deity of the Egyptians. So this younger generation now will learn there is no God but God. And it's, uh, it's really... Um, silly to think that there are other so-called deities. God struck them all down in delivering his people. So he gave them this great victory, the mightiest power in the world. The Egyptians. He took them right out and they left right in front of the eyes of the Egyptians triumphantly. It's written a little bit differently here and it helps us to understand how, how, how their hearts, the Israelites' hearts, must have been filled with worship and adoration to Yahweh. The Egyptians giving them all of their riches and gold. Just get them out of here. Having finally lost their, the last of the plagues to lose their firstborn. And so without an army without any kind of really revolution. There wasn't any, they didn't raise up arms or anything else. Yahweh delivered them, the sovereign hand of Yahweh. So he is the God who gives victory. Next, they are to understand, they are to understand that he is the God who meets their emergencies. Man, this is, this. Uh, this their, their needs were very, Uh, very real the logistics of carrying of lift in Moses case of, of leading about two and a half million people across a barren land to a specific place and to carry them all together and to keep them fed and to keep them watered and to keep them happy. If there's such a thing, they came from time to time to dire straits, and they found themselves in emergency situations. And this is what is talked about here in this particular passage. The sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses, camped in Sukkoth. They journeyed from Sukkoth and camped in Etham, the age of the desert. They journeyed from Etham, camped in uh, Pachirith, which faces Baal-Zaphon, and they camped in front of Migdol. They journeyed from Pnei-Chachirith, and crossed in the midst of the sea, to the desert, they walked for three days in the desert of Etam and camped in Marah. Okay, so what were the emergencies? Well, the first one that's sort of summarized here is how they crossed in the middle of the sea. Now we can go back and study Exodus. We can go back and study other parts. And we will remember that the mightiest army in the world in that day was hotly chasing them and right on their tails. And uh, Pharaoh intended to destroy them. Of course, that wouldn't happen. He was coming against Yahweh. He wasn't just coming against Israel. Parting of the Red Sea. We're all familiar with with that particular passage. But then they immediately come out on the other side into the desert. Now what happens? What's the old saying? Let me think if I remember it. You can last three seconds without hope, three minutes without air, three days without water um 3 weeks without food etc cetera, etc cetera. so they they walk for 3 days they're in a desert and they camped in mara well there were emergencies there first emergency was of course to escape the egyptians and the next emergency is to answer the question where will we have water how can we have water in the desert and of course the lord responded to that as well. But anyway, these, these are just summaries of how God took care of them in their emergencies. He also provided, he is the God who provided for their necessities. Now you think for all that they had done, they really didn't want for anything. Now, you know, it wasn't lavished upon them like they were, they were going to be the wealthiest people in the world. But their needs were met. What else could they ask for? Whatever was necessary for them, God provided. Well, here's this section. They journeyed from Marah and arrived in Elim and Elim, 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they camped there. You remember that? That's, they, had, uh, they had a war, had a fight. They were tired. Uh, was Amalekites. Anyway, they came. And there was exactly what they needed there, exactly what they needed right when they needed it the most. 12 springs of water, one one for each of the tribes, 70 palm trees, counted, so there there was plenty of food, a nice place under the palm trees to rest and escape from the sun, fresh, cool water from the springs of water uh, in an area that was otherwise desert. And so... Yahweh led them there, and there they camped. Then they journeyed from Elim and camped by the Red Sea. They journeyed from the Red Sea, camped in the desert of Sin. They journeyed from the desert of Sin and camped in Dovka. Everything is being taken care of. The distances between here, if one could just figure it out, and, and, and the... the uh, the environment in which they were traveling, it was, it was pretty rough. Journeyed from Dabka camped in Alush, journeyed from Alush, camped in Refidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Here it is again. They journeyed from Refidim and camped in the Sinai Desert. But the Lord, the details are not here in the summary. But the details are found earlier, how the Lord cared for them. Whatever the necessity was, Yahweh cared for them. This is brought now back to the, it is brought to the attention of a younger generation who, when traveling through these places, may not have even recognized the names of those places. A lot of the names of these places you won't find on Bible maps. But God knew exactly where he was. He, He had a plan And it was an unalterable plan. And so he would take them from this point to the next point. And in every journey, in every stage, in every plucking, there were lessons to be learned. And there was a faith to be strengthened as uh, the people of God. Now we know about Sinai, right? So then God shows himself, this sovereign God shows himself to be God who judges inequities? Mount Sinai. They journeyed from the Sinai desert and camped in Kivrot Hata'ava. They journeyed from Kivrot Hata'ava and camped in Hazerot. Journeyed from Hazerut and camped in Ritma. Journeyed from Ritma, camped in Rimon Perez. Journeyed from Rimon Perez and camped in Libna. And journeyed from libna camped in Risa. Journeyed from Risa camped in Kehelata. Journeyed from Kehelata, camped in Mount Shefer. Journeyed from Mount Shefer, camped in Harada. Journeyed from Harada and camped in Makhalot. Journeyed from Mahalot and camped in uh, Tahat journeyed from Machelot, and camped in Tahat journeyed from Tahat camped in tarah journeyed from tarah camped in mitka journeyed from mitka camped in hashmonah journeyed from hashmonah camped in mos erot journeyed from mos erot and camped in Bene Jaachen journeyed from hagedad i'm sorry haged gad and camped in jotbata journeyed from jotbata Camped in Abrona, journeyed from Abrona and camped in Etzion Geber. Journeyed from Edzion Geber and camped in the desert of Zin, which is in Kadesh. Oh, you remember what happened at Kadesh? They were bad boys and girls there. The Canaanite king of Arad, who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard that the sons of Israel had arrived. They journeyed from Mount Hor, camped in Zalmanah, journeyed from Zalmanah, camped in Penon, journeyed from Pannon and camped in Obot, journeyed from Obot and camped in the ruins of Abarim on the Moabite boundary. Now that's getting close to the Jordan River. That's closing in on the end of their journey in their wilderness wanderings. They journeyed from the ruins and camped in Debon Gad. Journeyed from the Baghdad and camped in Almon Diblatai Ma. Journeyed from Almon Diblatai Ma and camped in the mountains of Abarim in front of Nebo. Journeyed from the mountains of Abarim, camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan. Here they are right there at the brink. At Jericho. Camped along the Jordan from Beth. Jeshemot to Abel Shatim in the plains of Moab, Moabites. You remember, this is where they had their stand and, and, uh, they would move on from here. Okay. Now this is a, this is a, a summary. We went right through this last part, but it was to show, and a lot of those names, you, you go back in the scriptures and study in the Exodus or book of numbers, you you study their wandering and you won't find a lot of those names because they're otherwise insignificant. But what made them significant in the mind of God is the fact that this is where he placed his people for a space of time. Maybe a short while, maybe a long while, but there was a purpose for it and a reason within it so that his people would continue to learn lessons to trust him. Even in the worst of circumstances, to always know that he knew where they were. He knew exactly what they needed. And he would not allow inequities. And he would meet their emergency needs. Whatever. They should just rest in Yahweh. Just trust him. This is the great lesson. Now they had a hard time with it, That generation that came out. But this new generation. Is being forced to reflect. On the sovereign hand of God. As they made their way through the wilderness in their wanderings and so they come into the plains of Moab and this is of course right at the brink of where they would cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan. The final thing that they're going to learn that is taught to them in this passage is that God already has them in his hand and, and even though They are still in today. God is already in tomorrow. He's already resolving the future for his people because he has a purpose for his people. He will be glorified in his people. And so God will resolve whatever future he has for them. Here it is. Beginning in verse 50. Yahweh spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When? Not if, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy their temples, destroy their molten idols, and demolish their high places. Now, now let, me, let me stop there for just a second. This is God governing his creation. He's God. He can do what he wants to God had permitted these people in this land, even though the deed belonged to Abraham and his descendants. God permitted these people to live there for a while uh, so that they could settle the land and have the land prepared and ready for Israel to move in. Now, there there, there would be a war to fight. There would be battles that needed to be won. But Yahweh was with them. Why should they be concerned about that? That God had told them to drive out the inhabitants, destroy their temples, molten idols, demolish them. It tells us, along with certain specific passages in Leviticus, it tells us how desperately wicked the people of Canaan were. They were entrenched. They were immersed in depravity their so-called worship, their idols, their temples, everything reflected the basest nature of fallen man, all of it. It was it was all based on fertility cult uh which had as parts of its worship uh terribly aberrated uh and perverted sexual behavior. Uh and it 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 uh It was the kind of thing that this is part of who they were as their culture. Well, God couldn't permit that. So here's the deal. God has judged Canaan in its wickedness. And God has deemed that now they are unfit to continue on as nations in this land that really belong to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. So the time has come. For God to execute his judgment. And these people will be driven out. Number one, because God had judged them. And number two, because God would not allow or permit this influence, this cultural um, religious influence into the lives of his people. They are fresh. This is a new and fresh nation. They come fresh with the law of Moses. They come fresh with the tabernacle and all of its outfittings and all of its rituals and sacrifices. The law of God that points them to atonement and and to justification and to salvation, the salvation of God as defined by God. And also it confronts them with the horrors of the sinful condition of the rest of the world. Especially those who were in Canaan. So God's judgment is to be executed by his elect people and they are told to drive out the inhabitants of the land, destroy it all. Their temples, their idols, their high places, any place of worship. And then the warning. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those whom you leave over will be as spikes in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land in which you settle. And it will be that when I, that what I had intended to do to them, I will do to you. Now, we, we have the latitude, we have the privilege of being able to move forward in time to see what happens. First, to the northern kingdom after they had split over Solomon's sin into two kingdoms, what happened first to the northern kingdom, and then finally what happened to the southern kingdom. And it is because these, these idols, these uh, false deities, these, these high places, they were never completely driven away. There was just always a remnant of it somewhere. We've been seeing it uh, in what we've been studying in uh, Kings and in Chronicles. Uh, in our Wednesday night study, we've seen it when we studied Jeremiah and Isaiah. You just go all the way through the Old Testament. It was always a spike in their eyes until finally that leaven leavened the whole lump. And they, his own people, came under the judgment of God. Because those things that they were told to destroy and to completely annihilate from their presence and from their lives were never absolutely completely dealt with. Why? I don't know. I just it, I don't know if there were certain people in leadership who just thought that this was this was a novel thing that could bring a little entertainment to them. I don't I don't know I don't know except to say that they they had hearts. Uh, darkened by the influence of sin that was never completely dealt with. So so God gives them the warning here and when we get into Deuteronomy, the warning will even be clearer about how they are to abide in the land and how they are to live as the people of God. So here, this concludes the review, the summary of, of, of the sovereign God of Israel. Taking, you see, the people, they had their ups and downs, if you want to call it. They, they would sin. God's punishment would come, even in the 40 years. And then God, then they would repent. And there were leaders that cried out for the repentance of the people and, and so forth. And so the people would come and go. And now a whole generation is dead. But God is still God. And he hasn't changed at all. And even moving forward in the next hundreds of years... In their future in the Old Testament, God is still God. And exactly what he told them here is what he tells them at the final demise and decline of their nations, their respective nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. A great lesson even today for the people of God to learn and to be aware of. We're going to stop here. We'll have a prayer. And we'll pick up with the numbers next time. God, well, let's pray. Father, we love you. We fall helpless into your sovereign presence. Knowing that you are ever watching over us. You know where we are and you never make a mistake. You're never surprised. You are our God. God. You are teaching us more every day about who you are and who we are in you. We thank you for that. For the great lessons that we've learned, oh, Father, I pray that you will help us to learn more and more and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.